Welcome to another edition of Mind of a Madman, brought to you from STS Studios. Thank you, everybody, for joining in this week. Um, this week, we're going to look at um, something that I didn't even know even existed until I started doing doing this this research. I caught wind of it through another story I was reading, um, and that is uh, U.S. military space stations. Believe it or not, our our uh, uh, our military has had at least plans, if not operational, uh, space stations. Uh, long, long ago that most of us didn't even know about. Uh, yeah, I, you know, like I said, I didn't even know, know they existed until I was reading something else and it started talking about one of these, these these space stations and caught me off guard, and so I started researching it, and I thought it'd make a really cool story. So before we get into that, as always, uh, of course, yeah, I've got some stories. You know, I, I, you know, I, have, I have a couple strange paranormal-ish news stories. Um, not, really, not, not really paranormal this week, but they're still... Kind of, you know, are you know, right up the aisle, right, right up the alley of up to everybody listens to this show. So, first article is entitled "American Airlines." American Airlines reports UFO while flying over New Mexico. Uh, American, uh, though the pilots claim, though the pilots claimed a speeding missile-like object flew right near the plane, air traffic control found nothing on their radars. Uh, commercial flights are typically uneventful, but for a couple of pilots aboard American Airlines Flight 2292 to Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday, the ride was anything but boring. Around 1 o'clock p.m. Standard, or Central Standard Time, they spotted an unidentified flying object soaring right over them at 37,000 feet. According to the dive, this must be an online magazine or something, I'm not sure, but uh, the flight took off from... Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, without a hitch, headed to the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. The plane soon found itself at cruising altitude as passengers did their best to buy their time. Little did they know, however, that the pilots in the cockpit were dealing with the unexplainable. It was somewhat above northeastern New Mexico that the airmen radioed the Air Route Traffic Control Center in Albuquerque for answers. According to Q13 Fox, the transmission was recorded and intercepted by expert radiosman Stephen Douglas, who published it on his blog, Deep Black Horizon. Do you have any targets up here? We just had something go right over top of us, the pilot said. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object. It almost looked like a cruise missile or something moving really fast that went right over top of us. But perhaps, perhaps most remarkable is the fact that none of the passengers aboard saw the UFO or even knew that the pilots had seen it. Meanwhile, radar men on the ground, an amateur ufologist, desperately tried to identify what had encroached the Airbus's the Airbus three or A320 that day. American Airlines, however, seemed hesitant to admit that the incident had occurred. At this time, we do not have any indication any indication. The radio transmission was from the flight crew on board American Airlines Flight 2292 on February 21st. But Stephen Douglas claims that there were no signs of fabrication or otherwise suspicious elements within the transmission itself. After initially dismissing the transmission, American Airlines publicly confirmed it. That's the problem. You know, these companies got to realize that you know the public is you know the public is now is now at a position where technology has caught up with. What they have, you know, most of their transmissions are able to be, you know, monitored by other people. Uh, 
you know, you have a lot of, you know, uh, you, uh, like, you know, uh, like amateur radio, uh, operators and whatnot. So, uh, you know, and, you know, the public's starting to, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to say accept, but, you know, it's saying that you saw a UFO isn't so taboo. So I don't know why these airline companies are still denying it. I mean, pilots have been, airline pilots have been claiming to have seen UFOs for, decades, you know, and, you know, they're, you know, and they've always been told, you know, you, you keep everything hush, you know, and the airline companies have been keeping it quiet, but now, you know, with, with the Tic Tac videos that's been released and everything else, I don't know why they just don't come out and say, look, you know, all right, uh, we haven't been saying anything to, to panic the public, but, you know, you know, here's what happened today, you know, no, first they try hiding it, and then they go back and they confirm it, they still look like a bunch of idiots, I don't know why they, why they keep doing this, you know, just stop denying it, you know, tell us what, you know, you know, you don't have to tell us everything, but just say, sure, you know, something, you know, had occurred, and just, you know, leave it at that. But, of course, they don't. Let's move on to our next story. Archaeologists, this one kind of, I'm interested in this one. It's kind of, kind of funny. Uh, it's kind of curious, too. It's not, you know, it's not exactly paranormal, but. Uh, one of our listeners sent it to me, and I'm like, I gotta check this out. It's entitled "Archaeologists Believe They've Discovered the Tomb of Santa Claus." A team at Saint Nicholas Church in, Derm- in in Demry, Turkey, has found an intriguing shrine beneath the floors, previously unseen to the tiled due to the tiled floors' intricate mosaic. Uh, he must be accor- he must be according to archaeologists in Turkey. They found his grave buried beneath the St. Nicholas Church in the town of Dermy. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the first sentence of that. New Christmas theory. Santa is a ghost. He must be because according to archaeologists in Turkey, they found his grave buried beneath St. Nicholas's Church in the town of Dermy. Or Demry. For centuries, the location of the grave of St. Nicholas of Myra, the inspiration for the modern-day Santa Claus, has been contested. Historical records have been claimed that he was buried at the church that bears his name, but extensive research of the grounds revealed nothing of substance. Meanwhile, many believed that his remains had been smuggled out of the church by Italian merchants during medieval times. After all, there was an empty grave in the building that had clearly been looted, and the body of the man thought to be St. Nicholas was laid to rest in Italy during the Crusades. However, the head of of Antilles Monument Authority, Colonel... Carabyram told the local news that he and his team had found a shrine beneath the floors of St. Nicholas Church, previously unseen due to the tiled floor's intricate mosaic. He said that they found the shrine during a routine survey. They uncovered what they believed to be a tomb, which may hold the remains of the real St. Nicholas. As for the man laid to rest in Italy, some experts now say those remains may belong to another person, and a grave once thought to hold St. Nicholas may have held someone else. Though the discovery is yet to be proven via excavation, Carabarum is determined to follow through with the next step, even though it will be long, tedious, and complicating to complete. We believe the shrine has not been damaged at all, but it is quite difficult to get to, as there are mosaics on the tile floor. He said, each tile will need to be removed one by one so the floor can be returned to its present glory. 
Still, he remains optimistic that he will find St. Nicholas's remains. He plans to hire a new team comprised of scientists with eight different specialties to work at the site. The groundwork has already begun, and he says the team will hopefully unearth the shrine secret soon. So, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, up until now, I mean, I really never knew that Saint. I mean, I just heard of Saint Nicholas, but I, but I know it was an actual person, or that we actually knew where his grave was. I thought we knew where his grave was. So this is just kind of interesting to me. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. So let's move on to um, our next article, which is entitled "Rare X-ray Class Solar Flare Wipes Out Radio Signals in U.S." An unusually powerful X-class solar flare erupted from the sun's surface on Sunday, causing radio blackouts across the western United States and the Pacific Ocean. The solar flare spat out at 2314, which is about 7.14 p.m. Eastern Time, from sunspot AR3354, a large sunspot that had developed a beta-gamma-delta uh, magnetic field primed with enough energy to produce this kind of a powerful solar flare. The solar flare's X-ray ion, ionized the upper atmosphere, leading to a deep shortwave radio blackout across the west of the U.S., with mariners and ham radio operators possibly having lost their signal for about half an hour after the flare hit. Solar flares are a powerful burst of X-ray electromagnetic Radiation, usually emitted from sunspots, uh, with intense magnetic energy. These flares are often released at the same time as eruptions of solar plasma, also known as corona mass ejections, or CMEs. The solar flare recorded on Sunday was rated as X1.08, meaning it ranks at the weaker end of the strongest flares that the sun produces. X-class flares occur only one occur only 10 times each year, around 10 times each year. Solar flares are classified according to how bright they are in the soft x-ray part of the spectrum. Gonzola, Jose Caracita Caraballa, an astrophysicist, an astrophysics researcher at the Instituto Naciono de Teneca Aerospatial in Madrid, Spain, Told Newsweek, I apologize if I'm sure I, I'm sure I, I just butchered the name of that school horribly. Uh, they told the News Weekly that the weakest are the A class flares, followed by in, intensely by the B class, C class, M class. These are moderate, and the X class, he said. Uh, within each class, the solar flares are based on a scale between one and nine, with only X flare being able to go above the score 9. Each class represents a flare 10 times stronger than the previous number, with an X1 flare being 10 times more powerful than an M1, 100 times more powerful than a C1. A solar flare was triggered after a plasma plume hit the sunspot, with the hot magnetized gas stimulating the flare to burst forth. While A, B, and C class flares usually have the weak effects on the Earth, M class flares can cause brief radio blackouts, and X-class flares can lead to more extensive, longer-lasting blackouts and radiation storms, impacting satellites and communication systems. So, you know, we just talk, 
we talked about this, you know, a couple weeks ago about um, you know how you know a large blast from the sun, a huge solar flare, could wipe out you know our entire power grid, and you know, we could be cast back into stone ages because we'd have no electricity for months, if not years. Uh, you know, so this is just you know you know another warning of that that you know we we, we need to be we need to be better prepared for all these things. So uh, you know, it's you know hopefully you know. Hopefully this this is a wake up call and those you know you know the powers that be that you know are in charge of making sure that we are properly prepared for these kind of things start working on you know a better backup plan because that could have been much worse had you had been a stronger solar flare. Let's move on to uh, our fourth and last article. It's entitled, Advances in Rocket Propulsion Will Thrust America Past China's Space Program. Current spacecraft may pale in comparison to Star Wars, but the technology that powers these ships is becoming a reality. In Star Wars, the spacecraft of the galaxy far, far away are propelled through space by massive engines glowing bright blue. Current spacecraft may pale in comparison, but the technology that powers these ships is becoming a reality. Other countries like China have devoted significant resources towards developing developing space capabilities. That's why ensuring the United States is leading in rocket technology is important to allow U.S. spacecraft to respond quickly to changes in low Earth orbit and deep, deeper in space. Developing different rocket technologies and fuel var variety can equip the United States with a plethora of options for maintaining low Earth orbit spacecraft, traveling to Mars, and harvesting resources from space for transportation back to Earth in an economical time frame. Innovations in rocket propulsion using different types of designs can allow future spacecraft to reverse course, turn around, change directions mid-flight, and reach their destinations in a matter of months. Plasma rocket technology will be the key building block for long-distance space travel. The federal government should continue to champion this technology's development for further utilization of space resources and defense applications. Plasma-based systems work by heating ions of, of fuel to create plasma, and then directing the plasma using magnetic fields to be dis dispensed in a particular direction. This creates thrust to propel the craft forward, but plasma-based engines can vary plasma output and direction, creating much more potential for navigating the vacuum of space. Uh... The Variable Space Impulse Magno plasma rocket, also known as Vizirum, for example, can vary thrust and take either hydrogen, helium, or deuterium as fuel. This variety of fuel types would allow for extreme flexibility in space, as electrolysis would split water into usable oxygen and hydrogen for human consumption and fuel for the plasma rockets. As hydrogen is also one of the best shields against harmful radiation, its use for fuel for plasma rockets would likely reduce the likelihood of astronauts or sensitive machinery being damaged by the radiation of space and any potential radiation given off by the engines themselves. Plasma-based rockets have the potential to radically decrease travel time in outer space and in low Earth orbit. Most rockets today design around, are designed around chemical use, which caps their, their exhaust velocity around 5,000 meters per second. While that may seem fast, this causes multi-ton rockets to carry thousands of gallons of fuel to deliver a small payload to, distant, to a distant planet. 
capping exit velocity also leads to journeys that would take months, even years to complete one way. Using plasma-based rocket technology, like the, plasma, like the Pulse Plasma Rocket, or PPR, developed by NASA and HBAR Technologies, has the potential to cut human travel time to Mars down to only two months. Current investigations into PPR technology have shown that this type of engine may be capable of generating 20,000 pounds of force. This force generation runs against the need for consistent electron bombardment within the engine to produce plasma, meaning a consistent source of electricity is needed. While some fuels may fill niches during the spaceflight in order to preserve fuel consumption or reduce spacecraft's weight, ion and nuclear fission rocket technologies um, all are viable substitutes for plasma-based rockets. Today, ion thrusters are used to adjust satellites' positions in Earth's orbit and are the main fuel source for the probes uh, on multi-year journeys into the solar system. Ion fuel systems have been recorded as having up to 90% fuel efficiency and can travel massive distances on a relatively small amount of fuel. So basically what the article is saying is that, you know, they're, you know these new plasma engines are going to, you know, we're going to be able to carry um, larger payloads in the space and to distant planets such as Mars and, uh, and beyond. Larger loads more efficiently, so it's going to be cheaper bringing, bringing the cost of space flight down and uh, just making it more accessible. And, you know, one of the big things of going to Mars is, is it's that time because, you know, with our best rockets, you know, travel might be at the very, very least six months. That's but that's that six months of zero of 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 uh, zero gravity six months of uh, cosmic radiation. You know that's a lot of time for things to go wrong. So putting that that time frame way down like that to only you know a two month journey to Mars. If we're gonna colonize Mars, this is what we need to do. One hundred percent. Not even not even a thought to it. You know it's if we're colonizing Mars, we need to, this the direction that we need to be going, and we need to be going in and out. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Elon and SpaceX hop on this train pretty soon and start uh, trading the Raptor engines for something that's plasma-based. Or at least a combination of Raptors and plasma. Okay, so with that being said, let's move on to our topic, which is U.S. military space stations. Like I said, in this episode, we will look at an instance when the United States military was planning on building militarized space stations to have yet another resource against the Russians during the Cold War. As we've seen in recent years, China is looking to do just this on the moon. With even, uh, you know, even though there is international treaties that are in place to prohibit them from claiming uh, the moon as their own, they've already said that if they get uh, to the moon first with, with, with manned missions, that they're claiming the moon for, for China. So... Uh, that's something that maybe, you know, with our new plasma rockets that you know, we'll be able to you know, help prevent. But back to the story, the topic of the week. During the late 1950s and early 1960s, in the middle of the space race with the, Russia, with the Soviet Union, the United States military was planning a space station to create a military presence in the sky. NASA was currently building spacecraft to reach the moon. The U.S. military worked closely with NASA as the military aspect of the space station geared up. The earliest phase of the space station was Corona. 
a satellite that could take pictures of the Earth from space. During the 1970s and 1980s, Corona endured over 100 missions. Among them was a mission to spy on China's first nuclear test explosion. Before Corona and beginning stages of the U.S. military's ambitions for a space station, they developed a space plane called Dinosaur, spelled D-Y-N-A-S-O-A-R. They tried to be cute. Uh, it's short for Dynamic Ascent and Soaring Flight. The purpose of the hypersonic rocket launched spacecraft was to carry out man-missioned experiments, aim missiles at targets on the ground, as well as gather intelligence. In the end, the project was scrapped and the space plane was never completed, but in 1963 it gave birth to the military's next space-based concept, the MOL. The MOL, or Manned Orbiting Laboratory, was to be, the, was to be an orbiting space platform manned by military astronauts. This would be perfect for the U.S. military to gather information on Communist China and the Soviet Union. Besides allowing the military to take satellite photos and conduct experiments on human on the human body in space, there was a list of other functions that, to this day, still remains classified. By 1969, the cost of the materials was growing ever more expensive, and estimates of the cost to build the MOL exceeded $1.5 billion. In the end, the government scrapped the MOL project before construction began. Coincidentally, the Soviets had similar ideas about a space, military space station. While the Soviets were designing civilian stations called Soyuz, they were also designing the military's version called Almas. Uh, when discussing them th through the Soviet, although when, when when discussing them, the Soviets would call them would call both of them Soyuz to hide their military ambitions to the United States. So even if it was an Almas that, that they were working on building, especially if it, it, it was like a radio transmission or you know a public some kind of public broadcast that always 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 referred to military ones as as Soyuz as well. The first Soviet military space station named Soyuz 3 launched on June 25, 1974. Two years later, on June 22, 1976, the, Soviet the second military station launched named Soyuz 5. Not much is known about the Soyuz 3, but 5 is believed to have carried out high-resolution reconnaissance of the U.S. targets. Three spacecraft are known to have flown to Soyuz 5, most likely exchanging cosmonauts and resupplying, but after numerous technological or technical issues, Soyuz 5 was pulled from orbit in August of 1977. As we entered the 1980s, we were at the peak of the Cold War and the beginning of the Star Wars era. era. No, not the George Lucas movie franchise, but a massive military project. Uh, Star Wars was the name given to the U.S. military's strategic defense in in initiative, which was a series of space-based weapons. NASA was just beginning to plan out the International Space Station, which we have in orbit today, and, and, and currently is coming close to the end of its life. Well, at the same time as NASA was, t was working on it, with the U.S. military considering a similar space station to serve as a command post for the Star Wars weapons, allowing for the easy access to maintain and refuel all their weapons. So a lot of, a lot of NASA's uh, research 
for the International Space Station was was funded by the U.S. military. So if, if it wouldn't have been for the U.S. military's involvement, I really don't know that the International Space Station would have ever got built because, I mean, sure, other countries helped us build it, but the U.S. did the crux of the research for it and development for it, and it was through military funding that that was allowed to happen. Um, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Aeronautics of Aeronautics and Astronautics proposed that before any further planning of a military space station was built, the technology surrounding it should first be developed. They recommended radiation protection, military-grade high-pressure high suits, as well as shields from nuclear attacks and lasers, as the space stations would be an obvious target for attacks. When Congress saw that the price tag to do this, uh, this uh, research and development would cost would most likely exceed $1.8 billion of plans for this space station were also scrapped. Congressman Norman Y. Minnett introduced a bill in 1987 to prevent the militarized usage of the International Space Station. He stated that NASA credibly, or that NASA's credibility would be at risk. Military aspirations never fully came to be in space. Now, the military is still looking at space, but from more of a defensive stance, protecting current satellites in orbit and protecting our, air, our airspace. Now, there are other conspiracies out there that say that the U.S. military has established bases in space. But that's for another episode. Uh, I'm currently working on, a, on, a, in, on an episode involving what, what the U.S. Space Force does because... If you go on our website, it's very, very vague about what what, what Space Force does. And there's a, there's a conspiracy theory that you know that we have we have you know the, a lot of these UFOs that we're seeing, like these tic tac tic tacs that are being recorded, are actually part of the U.S. Space Force. But like I said, that's for another show. Currently, currently the international stance is that space should not be used for militarization. But with China breaking from this agreement, and the fact that the U.S. military has a division name named the U.S. Space Force, all bets are off. Eventually, if we want to keep up with technology, if, if we want to keep up with technology and keep our country safe, we will either need to develop a military presence in space, or work out a worldwide peace agreement. And peace has never worked in mankind's past, so it's doubtful it'll work in the future. So, uh. You know, as we saw, you know, the only real space station-ish thing the military ever really developed was Corona, which was basically an advanced spy satellite, is what it was. I mean, they were calling it a space station, but it wasn't. It wasn't a manned space station. But uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. You know, did you know why? You know, a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of other projects that I tried to get information on, but they're they're so highly classified that. You you know you know it's really hard to even get names. So you know, do we know everything about what was done during the you know, you know, Star Wars era, or are there things that were done that we don't know about? You know, are there currently space stations that the military has, or did they have space stations we don't know about? Uh, you know, write in and let me know. Let me know what you think. You know, do you think you know that U.S. has space stations, or you know, did or does or whatever? So. With that being said, let's move on uh, to our question of the week. 
last week, um, you know, the question was basically around artificial intelligence, you know, and, you know, I asked you, you know, do you think that Elon Musk's warning warnings about, about, uh, AI are warranted, you know, or is he just, you know, over, uh, reacting, you know, and, uh, you know, is AI really that big of a threat that we should be worried about? My personal opinion, I think I pretty much, you know, I, I kind of gave it away last week. It's definitely something that I feel we should be worried about. I mean, I, you know, as I said last week, it would, it, it, it would take AI a matter of, a matter of minutes to shut down our entire power grid or, um, our natural gas lines or, you know, all of our utilities, you know, and cripple our, you know, if you take out, if you take out our power and our water and our systems, you know, right there, you know, you just crippled our entire, our entire food systems. We'll starve to death in a matter of, of, of weeks. Uh, I mean, you know, of course, there'll be some pockets of humans that'll, that'll survive because they're, you know, they're, you know, they're people who, who, uh, you know, live out in the woods and, you know, and know how to survive off the land or people who have farms that, you know, like the, you know, like the Pennsylvania Amish. But overall, though, just by crippling our utilities, civilization, as we know it, would end and millions, hundreds of millions of people, if not billions of people, would die in a rather short time. Things would get really ugly. Really ugly. But, like, I think Hollywood really, really over-glamorizes it, like, in a Terminator movie, you know, where, where, uh, where, like, computers all come together and they start manufacturing, you know, death machines and they come and destroy all humans and launch all our nuclear weapons. It doesn't have to be like that. It would, robots were... AI wouldn't have to go to that extent to, to get to get rid of us and exterminate us. It would be very easy to get rid of us many other means, you know. Uh, all, you know, all AI would have to do was put out some kind of a fictitious... Uh, like a statement from one country to another, and start a chain reaction of nuclear wars that would, you know, and in turn make us, you know, use our egos and turn us against each other, and we would destroy ourselves. I mean, you know, AI is so intelligent. It, you know, it would figure out the fastest way way to do it. You know, I don't think it would go the Terminator route because that that would take time to build all those robots and assemble them. And if AI wants to take us out, it would it would be so quick. You know, it would be able to, it, AI would be able to figure out the fastest way to do it and just get it done with. So I definitely think that we need to worry about AI. We need to be very, very fearful of that. Um, I don't know what kind of checks and balances and protocol are being built into the core of AI. I'm hoping that that that, that the programmers are putting in protocols, you know, not to hurt humans, not to harm us, blah blah blah. blah but you know how shortcuts are taken to get things out, produced, and put out. So I, I, I don't know what, the, what what's there, but hopefully they are taking protocol to make sure that we are protected and, you know, to make sure that AI doesn't turn against us. But I, I think Elon's definitely very warranted in his concerns. Um, I don't know if it'll happen in the next 20 or 30 years, but I think eventually it's definitely something that we could we definitely have to worry about. I mean, I mean you know, even like... Even things like computer viruses, you know, once once AI is everywhere, which is pretty everywhere now, once AI is truly a non, a, truly, once it it's truly 
and to the point where it's almost like a sentient being. The next thing's going to be is the, you know there's going to be viruses that are going to that are going to affect the infect AI, and then it's going to get really messy. So scary time coming up here for anybody who for anybody any any human being in the next the next 20 years is going to be 20 30 years it's going to be scary times you know it's going to be the wild wild west with with it you know as far as the internet because ai is going to change going to change everything i mean ai is not going to just change you know it's not going to just change uh you know a couple things it's going to change life period so like I say, is buckle up and hold on. Hopefully, Elon's wrong. But so let's look at something. So what are we gonna look at for next week? Uh, you know, this week we looked at we looked at uh, um uh, one news story talked about plasma rocket propulsion and uh, you know how that's America's key to retaining you know the our authority in space. Because China is definitely catching up to us, and they're on a in, at the rate China's going, they're going to surpass us very quickly. You know, and and, uh, and you know, and, and the article that we talked about had said how um, our key to to maintaining our supremacy is uh, plasma propulsion. Um, <clears throat> question of the week is we're 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 gonna look at China. Uh, China's definitely very scary right now. I mean, they're threatening to, you know, to beat us to the moon. They're threatening to, they're threatening to take the moon as their own and, you know, and, and keep everybody, everyone away from it, you know, and so the question of the week is, do you think that China is going to, to surpass us technologically as far as space travel and exploration goes, or do you think that, that the U.S. will find a way to maintain our supremacy and continue to thrive in this area so let me know what you guys think um as always you can email us at moampodcast21 at gmail.com uh, we have our phone number that you can call us or text us you can uh message us or let a comment on our facebook fan page links to all those are in the description to this podcast um i want to thank everybody once again for uh for tuning in this week and checking us out I hope you guys will come back again next week. Uh, you know, uh, 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 if you want to reach out to us for anything that's that's not the question of the week, that's cool too. You know, we'll you know we, you know we will gladly uh, you know uh, uh, from time to time I get uh, a fan mail, I get questions, comments, whatever. You know, I make sure that I reach out to every single one. I mean, sometimes it takes me a couple hours, and it doesn't matter. You know, you know I reach out to every. Every fan who reaches out out to the show, I make sure that you know I personally you respond because it's you know it's it's you know kind of what it's like you'll be a fan of something you know and you send in send in like you know hey thanks for the whatever or, and you know and you get nothing back you know and that sucks so you know I make you know just watch I making sure that you know, I that, you know, I answer everybody. <clears throat> um, well, thank you guys once you know uh, one last time and. I'll see you guys again. Until then, stay safe.